All right, all right. Grab, uh, grab your notes, grab a pen, open up to session number two, worship session number two. If you need a pen, there are some extras in the back. Um, and if you want a Bible, there are some extras in the back, but everything will be up on the screen. Open up to John 3. John chapter 3, the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John chapter 3. And we're going to continue to look at this question of, are you a fan or a follower that we, that we kind of introduced last night. We kind of just left it where it was. What we're going to do today is kind of figure out where each of us is leaning personally. And so, uh, so as we do that, let's go, let's go to God in prayer and just ask him that he will focus us. Everybody kind of take a deep breath. Let it out. All right. Calm yourself. Just listen to God for a second, and then I'm going to close this in prayer. Lord, focus us. I pray that we feel your presence. If you're not in it, it's just a bunch of lights and it's just a bunch of talks and just a bunch of videos. We need you to be here. We need you to speak to us, Lord. Speak through me. Speak to each one of our hearts as we, as we listen to your word. Lord, I pray that nothing would get in the way. Not, not sleepiness, not phones, not our friends, not me, not anything would get in the way of what you have to speak to us. We pray that you would, we would hear from you. And know how much you love us. In your name we pray. Everybody said. Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm excited about football. And I'm excited about the dance. But I'm more excited about Jesus. That's the way to go. All right. So how many of you like going to the doctor? Raise your hand. You like going to the doctor? Anybody? Just a few of us. I love going to the doctor. I like when I give blood. I like when they stick the needles in my arms. I like, I like them like putting stethoscopes all over my body and like telling me like, oh, this and breathe in and breathe out. And they're so, they're so nice. I don't like, uh, however, I don't like going to the dentist. Does anybody like going to the dentist? You like going to the dentist if you're raising your hands. Oh, good gracious. I know some of you are related to dentists. So this is not an attack on them, but Dentists, oh man, like nothing, nothing, nothing gets on me like going to the dentist. I, I, I hate going to the dentist. I hate when they, they prick your teeth. I hate when they stick a sharp object in there and it starts bleeding and you say, ow, and they're like, that shouldn't hurt. You should floss. And I'm like, I'm not sticking a string in between my teeth. I'm never going to do it. You ask me every single time. It's never going to happen. And then they just complain about it six months later. Hey, Ryan, you really should start flossing. And I'm like, uh, it's just not one of those things I'm going to do. I'm just going to brush my teeth once, maybe twice a day and uh, hope for the best. All right. So um, that's, what, that's what I do when I go to the dentist. I hate the dentist, but I do like going to the doctor. And here's why I like going to the doctor. We usually go to the doctor, as Jesus said last night, we usually go to the doctor when we are sick, right? And so we want to know how to get better. So I like going to the doctor because there is, a, uh, there is hope on the horizon. There is a medicine, there is a treatment that can, uh, <clears throat> can get me where I need to go. But here's how the doctor gets us to understand where we are. Here's how the doctor makes us understand What's going on? He asks us something. He asks us what our symptoms are. A symptom is, is what is going wrong. So you'll go in and they'll say, well, what are your symptoms? What's happening? You might say, I got a sore throat. I got a little bit of uh, some, some congestion. I got a headache. I got a stomach ache. You know, I've been throwing up. I got a fever, whatever it is. And, um, and you will give them the symptoms. And when you give them the symptoms, then they are able to determine where you're at. 
what's wrong, what, 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 what's going on in your body. And then they can figure out a prescription, uh, a course of action so that things can get better. But when we go to the doctor, it, it's kind of a good thing because although some of the things might be uncomfortable, we might not like some of the things, we are still given cause for hope. And we are given a, a road back to health. And the only way we get back to health usually is by going in, admitting, hey, I think there's some stuff going on. Let me tell you what my symptoms are. And they say, oh, okay, now let me figure out what's wrong with you. And so what we're going to do this morning is we are going to kind of have a doctor's visit. We're going to figure out where we are on, this, on this, this scale of fan to follower. We're going to ask some questions and look at some scriptures to, to really determine where, where we lean. And, and here's the thing. There's, there's not necessarily an all or nothing type thing. There, there may be, you might find some places in your life where um, you very much lean towards fandom. Um, and maybe, maybe in all areas of your life, but then you might some, find some areas where you feel like, oh, I'm really following God in this area. Um, and, and so it's not necessarily all or nothing, but what we want to do is look at the symptoms and be honest with ourselves. Can we be honest with ourselves? You didn't, you didn't pay all the money and spend all the time and go buy a bunch of old people clothes or young people clothes to, uh, to come here and not be honest with yourself. I'm not telling you to go spout off your stuff to somebody else or someone right down, the, right down the road from you who you don't even know. I'm just asking you to be honest with yourself. Honest with yourself. Can we do that? Can we do that? Yeah. All right. Okay. So John 3, verses 1 through 18. John 3, verses 1 through 18. We're going to ask some questions, and I'd love you to write them down as we go, um, that are going to uh, kind of help us figure out where we're at in this walk from fan to follower. John 3, 1 through 18. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. We talked about the Pharisees last night. They were kind of in control of the temple, in control of the synagogue. They were like the, the religious leaders. And so they, a lot of times, butted heads with Jesus. It, it, it didn't go so well. They didn't like Jesus. He, he kind of took away their power. He kind of he said some things that made them angry. And so, uh, so they, didn't really, they didn't really care very much for him. And so this man, this Nicodemus character, comes to Jesus. It says, verse 2, he came to Jesus at what time? Night. He came to Jesus at night. And, and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now, this is significant. There's a lot of significance. The Bible doesn't give us every single detail um, all the time. But, but here in this, in this small passage, we already see something that if we, if we kind of read between the lines, uh, we can find something out about Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a fan. Here's how we know that. Nicodemus comes and says, hey, you're a teacher. You're a rabbi. I, I respect you to call you those things. You, you've definitely come from God. You've done these amazing things. But he came to him at night. Why did he do that? Why did he go to Jesus at night? Perhaps he didn't want anyone to see. You see, he had all these friends that hated Jesus. And if he said, I think this guy's pretty cool. I at least want to hear what he has to say. He would have been just ridiculed and, and, and kind of put out. But but. He goes to him at night. And keep in mind, these days we got LEDs everywhere. We got street lamps. We got, we got headlights on a, on, a, on a car. We've got light everywhere. So at night, you can still be seen. But in this first century town, there was no light. When the, when the sun went down, it was basically 
go to bed. You, you, you can do nothing from, from here on out. If any of you have like grandparents that live out in the country, like way out in the, in the boonies, you kind of know this thing. Or if you've been to a country that doesn't have like a ton of electricity, like a Jamaica or, or some other country in the, in the Caribbean or something, you would know that when the sun goes down, there's not much going on because it is completely dark. When we go out to Panama on mission trips, like we're in the mountains and like literally there is no light anywhere. And so when it's dark, your day's over. And that's why these people wake up so early because they got to have a little bit of a day. So they wake up early, they go to bed early. And so that's kind of how it was with Nicodemus. He has this darkness. You could do a lot of things in the shadows. You could actually go from one place to another and no one would have any idea where you were because it was night. And so we see that Nicodemus is a fan. He likes Jesus. He knows about Jesus, but he's not willing to sacrifice anything. He's not willing to tell his friends, oh yeah, I think this guy's pretty cool. He's not willing to to give up anything to actually follow Jesus. And so the first question we have is, have you made a decision to accept him, a decision to accept Jesus, or a commitment to follow? Have you made a decision to accept him or a commitment to follow? Here's another question you can ask yourself. Has following Jesus cost you anything? Has following Jesus cost you anything? And I'm not saying like it cost you your life. I'm not saying you were tortured. I'm not saying any of that. Has it even cost you an awkward conversation? Has it cost you a week? Has it cost you a daily quiet time? Has it cost you any type of financial or or, 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 uh, substance in your life to give up for the kingdom? Has it cost you um, serving your family, your brothers, your sisters, your parents? Has it cost you anything or is it just something you do on Sunday and Wednesday? Is it just something you do at night? Oh yeah, I kind of do this over in the dark and and, and that's that's a part of my life, but it's not really really something I want to put out in the light. Have you made a decision to accept him or commitment to follow? Now, now let me, me, me again, uh, clarify this. If you have given your life to Christ, you are a Christian. And so we're not saying, oh, you just accept him. That's no good for salvation. No, no, no. We're not saying that. But there is a difference between giving your life over to him and praying a prayer. I think we can all understand that. And it may not be a salvation difference, but it's a lifestyle difference. It's a walking with Christ difference. Perhaps we are the people that say, yeah, I love you, Jesus, but I'm going to stay here while you walk away instead of the people that follow after him. Are we like Nicodemus? Are we willing to accept, hey, you're a teacher, you're a prophet, you're great. Or are we willing to make a commitment? to him. When someone gets married, they stand up there and they make a commitment. And if, um, if, if a husband were to, to, to make these vows to his wife, and in the first three weeks of his marriage, all he does is cheat on her, we would all say, well, your vows didn't mean very much, did they, sir? Like, you didn't, you didn't really, you didn't really mean it. You don't really love her. Come on, like, you just, you're just, you just said some words on a stage, and then you went and did whatever you wanted. So, have we made a decision to accept or have we made a commitment to actually follow him? We'll continue in this reading with Nicodemus and Jesus. Verse four, or verse three, Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. To which Nicodemus was probably like, that, what are you talking about? Like, that has nothing to do, like, I just said you're a teacher from God and you just randomly spouted off some proverb. I have no idea what you're saying. You're so weird. Why did I even come here? What, 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 am, I, what am I thinking? And so he says, well, how can someone be born when they are old? Hey, this has a little bit of a cradle to the grave uh, connotation. How can someone be born when they're old? You can't, you can't 
go back into your mother's womb for a second time to be born. See, Nicodemus isn't understanding something. We continue on. Jesus says, I'm just going to try to continue to, to kind, of, kind of teach you, Nicodemus. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water. That's like your initial physical birth. Everyone has that. And born of the Spirit. That's your rebirth in Christ, giving your life over to Christ. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. And then he starts explaining the Holy Spirit. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, Nicodemus is even more confused than, than he was a moment ago. And, and this is us a lot of times. Like, this is me with, like, math. Uh, a teacher would come and try to explain something to me, and I'd be like, like, that makes less sense than when you didn't explain it to me. I have no idea what you're talking about. Please help me understand. How can this be, Nicodemus says. He doesn't try to spout off knowledge. He doesn't try to impress Jesus. He's just like, I don't get it. I, I don't get it, Jesus. I don't understand what you're saying. And then Jesus says this, you are Israel's teacher. And do you not understand these things? You're, you're the pastor, man. You're the preacher. You're the priest. You're the, you're the synagogue leader. How do you not understand the things of God? And it continues, very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, and still you people, talking about the Pharisees and, and some of the people of Israel, do not accept our testimony. That is Jesus' testimony about who he is. He says, I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe me. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And then the writer John goes on to say, after he, he ends that quote, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Some of you just need to hear that. God did not come, Jesus did not come to condemn you, but to save you. We need a savior. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. See, Nicodemus, Nicodemus had some knowledge about Jesus, but he didn't understand Jesus. Here's the second question I want you to ask yourself. Do you have knowledge about Jesus or do you really know him? Do you have knowledge about Jesus or do you really know him. See, there's a big, big difference. Nicodemus knew Jesus, and he knew the scriptures, and he knew the prophets, but he did not understand Jesus' purpose. He didn't have this intimate, open relationship with Jesus. He, he didn't get anything. We're not talking about a biblical knowledge here. It wasn't that he, he misunderstood some, some deep, profound uh, uh, truth. It, it was just that he didn't understand the basic truth of what Jesus had come to do, to give us rebirth to change our lives, to actually follow after God and be like him and be in a relationship with him, a real relationship with him. And so he had a lot of knowledge about Jesus, but he didn't actually know him. We have a uh, friend, and uh, all, her, all her life group girls can scream when I say her name. We have a friend here named Lizzie Smith. Where are you at, Lizzie Smith? Yeah, look at her shirt. Funny she's wearing that shirt. I'm about to talk about One Direction. So Lizzie Smith is what I would call a fan of One Direction, to say the least. If any of you know Lizzie Smith, you know that it's life or death, One Direction. I've sat with her. I've sat with her. Look at her. She's ridiculous. This is insane. But um, I've, uh, I've sat with her at a restaurant, at a restaurant with a group of friends, 
and seen her look down to a glowing device and then tell me where each and every One Direction is at that moment. Oh, Niall's in London right now. Uh, 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 Zane or whatever, the, the guy that left, he's in, he's in San Diego. And she would just tell me facts. Oh, they're, they're at this club in Miami. I might go down there. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you are just insane with this stuff. Like, you know everything about One Direction. She can tell you the boyfriends or the girlfriend. She can tell you, uh, maybe the boyfriends, I don't know. She can tell you the girlfriend. She can tell you, she can tell you all about the song. She can tell you why they were written. She can tell you where they were written. She can tell you um, every single place they've gone on tour. She is obsessed, obsessed. And this is nothing against her because we all like things. I love, I love FSU and, and you all love your own thing. But, but here's the deal. She doesn't really know them, does she? And we don't really know a lot of the people that we cheer for and that we are obsessed with from, from computers and from TV shows and all that kind of stuff. The truth is, Lizzie knows a lot of information about One Direction, doesn't she? Probably more than any other living being in the entire planet. But, but, but she doesn't know them. Actually, I saw her tweet the other night. I don't know if she was uh, something to do with this sermon or something, because I told her I was going to tell this story. But, but she tweeted, it's kind of sad that I'm never going to actually know these guys that I like so much. And that's the truth of fandom, isn't it? It's not, it's not something to make fun of someone. It's just, it's the truth. We, we are obsessed with these teams and these celebrities and these singers and these actors and, and all of that, but we don't actually know them. They don't know us. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we actually have, no, do we have knowledge about Jesus or do we really know him? See, Nicodemus knew about God. He liked Jesus, but he didn't know him as Lord. And he wasn't willing to be in a relationship with him. And that word no is very important. In the Hebrew language, the word for no is yada. Everybody say yada. 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 And it's used actually when Adam and Eve in the, in the Old Testament in Genesis um, come together as husband and wife, actually intimately sexually. It says they knew each other. And so it's not sexual in connotation, but the, but the intimacy is big. The word no in the Bible is very, very intimate. It's not just like, oh yeah, I know that guy. Oh, yeah, 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 I, I think I met her one time. I, I know her. It's this intimate connection, this real deep relationship. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we have a knowledge about Jesus, or do we have this intimate, deep relationship where we know him and he knows us? Now, I want you to flip over one book back to Luke. Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 and 26. So there's, there's all these crowds following after Jesus in this instance. Large crowds, the Bible says. And uh, this would be a good time for him to like kind of state his platform, give, give, the, give the good message of change and hope, and we're going to make Israel great again and all that kind of stuff. And so he, he, he would have a great opportunity to do this, but, but he doesn't. And the disciples, you can imagine, are like, hey, Jesus, this is a great opportunity. Tell them all about the grace. Man, this is going to be awesome, Jesus. Man, we are going to explode. We're taking over, baby. It's going to be amazing. And then this is what Jesus says. He turns around to these large crowds that are traveling, actually, literally traveling with him. And he says this, if anyone, if anyone comes to me and does not hate their father and mother. And you can imagine Peter. Oh my gosh, Jesus, this again. Come on, Jesus, we, we, we have a great opportunity here. Take advantage, strike while the iron's hot. Hey guys, if you don't hate your, if we don't hate your mom and dad, if you don't hate your wife and your children, your brothers and sisters, yes, if you don't even hate yourself, your own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Woo, Jesus. Jesus, 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 we need to have a little bit of PR work because this is not what you should say to people. Man, they love you. They're following you. They are excited. And you told them to hate their families and hate themselves. Come on, 
What, what are you doing? This doesn't make sense. That's not what he was saying. Here, here's what he's saying. And this is the third or the fourth uh, question, or the third question, I'm sorry, that you can ask yourself. Is Jesus one of many or is he your one and only? Is Jesus one of many or is he your one and only? What he was saying to these people is that by comparison to your love and devotion to me, every other relationship, every other thing that you love and like on this earth should look like hate. No, you shouldn't hate yourself. Jesus and the Bible talks over and over about how we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God loves us. We are, we are, we are perfect creations. It talks about how we should obey our mother and father and how we should take care of our brothers and sisters. The, the Bible does not at all say we should hate them. Jesus is making a point. He's making a point. Am I, am I just going to be one of a few? Or I, am I going to be the Lord of your life? And it's not just with people. It's with stuff too. Is it going to be me and money? Me and stuff? Me and a car? Me and a relationship? Or is it going to be me as the most important and only thing in your life. And it's not that he was just calling us to love him that way. He was actually describing how he loves us. In fact, people came to him one time. Um, I'm just remembering this. Thank you, God. Uh, people came to him one time and they said, hey, hey, Jesus, your mom and your dad, or your mom's outside and your brothers are outside. And he said, you're all my brothers and sisters. He actually kind of, they were like, why are you being mean to your family? No, he was just making the point. You're all my family. I love each and every one of you. There's not some hierarchy in my love. And he's asking for the same from us. So now let me, let me, let me give you a, an illustration of what this looks like. I know a, a married couple, I'm not gonna give you their name. I know a married couple that has been happily married for years. When they were dating, when they were dating, they were dating for months, months. And, uh, and they had been, you know, romantically involved and, and kissed and gone on dates and everything was good. And then one day, the girlfriend found out that the boyfriend was dating other people. And she went to him and she's like, what, what are you thinking? Why are you, we're exclusive. We're, we're in a dating relationship. And he had no idea. Guys, we're so dumb, but he had no idea. He'd been dating this girl for months and he thought, oh, we're just dating everybody. We're just dating a few people. He really wasn't trying to be mean. He just didn't get it. He had, she was one of many. She was one of many. If any of you get a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or you have one, or you're gonna get one one day, if you were to start dating them, exclusively, and you were to look at the background of, your, of their phone, their lock screen, and it's you and them kissing, oh, it's so great. You'd be like, oh, they love me so much. This is amazing. I love romance. Oh, this is, we're like a, we're like a movie. And then what if you unlock their screen and their next screen, you know, you can have the different, the lock screen and the home screen. Their home screen was them with another girl or with another guy. Would you be happy? Would you be happy? Come on, like, are y'all, do you like being cheated on? Would you be happy? All right, you wouldn't be happy. You'd be like, uh, who's this dude? Or who's this girl? What, what are you thinking? And what if they answered you, oh, well, you're my favorite. Like, I like you the most. Uh, well, I've got three girlfriends, but the other ones are side chicks. You're my main girl. Come on. You know that, don't you? Some of, girl, some of you girls have been told that from a boy. Once again, relationship advice. Kick him to the curb. Dump him. You don't need him. Let him have his side chicks. He can't have you, okay? All right, so... You would not like that. You would not like that, all right? <laughs> so, 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 so bringing it back, is Jesus our one and only or is he one of a few? Is he just our favorite out of all our relationships or is he our one and only savior? Next scripture, turn over to Matthew. We're gonna go back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23. 
we've got Jesus talking to the Pharisees once again. And this is called the seven woes. This is like where he's just, it's just an epic ruining of the Pharisees. He's just talking to them and just like, just, just telling them every single thing that's wrong with the, with the way the synagogue's being run and the way they're treating the people and the way they are, they are leading people away from God. And in one of the areas, he says this in verse 20, or chapter 23, verses 23, 25 through 28. He says this, woe to you, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. I'm sorry. I started in the wrong verse. I want to start in 25. I thought that was wrong. Woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees and hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. So you clean the outside of your dish, but in the inside it's stained, it's moldy, it's nasty. Blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. And then he continues, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. Some of you have been to, uh, especially like in Central America and the Caribbean, they have these big graveyards with these huge graves that are whitewashed, that are, that are painted nice, and they have flowers around them. They might be two or three stories. He says, you're like a whitewashed tomb. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous. You appear to be righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So here's our question. Here's the fourth out of five questions. Are you following Jesus or are you following the rules? Are you following Jesus or are you following the rules? Some of us are missing the target. We're shooting, we're hitting bullseyes on the rules, but Jesus didn't come to call us to say, come and follow my rules. He said, come and follow me. Shoot at that target. And so some of us are shooting at the completely wrong target. You see, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they were like the ruling people. That's what they were called, Sadducees, Pharisees. The Sadducees were born into their position based on their family. They were born into leadership. The Pharisees earned their spot based on how good they were. Neither of them understood relationship very well. Both of them understood status and how good you are and what you look like and what family you're from. They loved the rules, and many times they chose the rules over the relationship with God. This is why Jesus last night in the scripture we read said, I desire mercy, not your sacrifice. I want your mercy. I want you to love. I want you to love mercy. And see, these people were all focused on looking the part and earning their keep and making God love them. But Jesus told them to focus on the heart. He said, focus on the inside. Focus on the inside of the glass and wipe it clean so that it is sanitary and that it is nice. And then the outside will also be clean. The outside doesn't matter so much as the inside. What I want is your heart, not just you following the rules. But remember what we said last night, following and believing are tied hand in hand. Our works and our faith are tied hand in hand. What he's saying in this situation is if you put me first. If you seek me with your whole heart, if you seek first the kingdom of heaven, then everything else will take care of itself. You won't be perfect, but you will gradually become more like me. See, fans of Jesus, fans of Jesus sooner or later become exhausted 
And we've all seen it. We've tried being fans. We've, we, probably most of us in the church have done it, where we are exhausted. We're like, I can't pay attention to any more rules. I'm doing good with the sexual stuff, but I can't serve well. Or I'm doing good with the quiet times, but I can't stop drinking. I, I can't stop smoking. Or I can't stop doing this or that. I, I, I just, I can't do everything at once. And we just fall in a heap. And we're like, whoa, my gosh, this is exhausting. Doesn't sound much like Jesus, what Jesus wanted for us, does it? He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He didn't say, I'll give you rules, did he? He didn't say, I'll give you commandments. I'll give you some ways that you can earn my love. He says, just come to me and rest in me. Here's something I want you to write down. Following Jesus leads to a heart change where we naturally begin to change on the outside. Following Jesus leads to a heart change where we naturally begin to change on the outside. I preach this all the time, and this is like one of the biggest things that God's put on my heart for for, for people in the church and for myself, is that when we follow Jesus, we become more like Jesus. It's a simple equation. You don't have to have all these. Now, sometimes the accountability and sometimes the, 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 the boundaries in your life are very important, and God gives us those. But ultimately, we need to follow Jesus, and he will make us more like him. We need to seek him first, and he will make us more like him. And this leads us to the last part, to the last part. Here's the question. Are you self-empowered or spirit-filled? Are you self-empowered or spirit-filled? Are you trying to do it all yourself? Or are you letting God do it in you? Here's the last scripture I want to look at. Jeremiah, Old Testament. If you know where it is, you can turn to it. If not, it'll just be on the screen. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. One of my favorite scriptures in the Old Testament, favorite scriptures in the Bible. It's this, it's this, it's this uh, prophecy, basically is speaking from God of what things are gonna look like when Jesus comes along. And it says this. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah, with my followers, which is you. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. When I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, even though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. You see, the Bible talks about in the Old Testament that God was with all these people. We think it's amazing. God was with Abraham. God was with Moses. God led the people of Israel. Man, that's amazing. I wish I could have seen that. Then I'd believe. And you don't see much God was with people in the New Testament. But we see something far better that reflects this prophecy about what would happen in the times of Jesus, what would happen in the times where the Spirit, the Holy Spirit came into believers that followed after Jesus. We see this phrase, God is in people. The Spirit 
what's within people, shaping their minds, shaking, shaping their hearts. No longer does, does God have to drag us along, like, come on, come follow me. It's no longer this obligation thing. It's his ability to channel his spirit and be able to follow him. I know that God wants me to go have that conversation. I know that God wants me to spend time in his word today. I know that God wants me to be at Life Group, not just for what I'm going to learn, but for what I can share with someone else. I know God wants me to make that invitation. I know God wants me to serve that person. I know God wants me to re- react with patience in this situation. I know that God wants me to obey my mother and my father, even though I'm pissed at them. I know that God wants me to do these things because he's in my mind and he's in my heart. Are you self-empowered or spirit-filled? I, I like to use the, the idea of Jesus is like this, this, this G-Wagon, this fully gassed 2017 Mercedes-Benz, and it's sitting at the bottom of the hill, and we a lot of times try to push it up the hill. And we'll get, ugh, I got it, ugh, I got, I, got, I got a couple inches, I'm doing better. And Jesus is like, what are you doing back there? Come get in the seat, come get in the driver's seat, turn the key, put it in a drive, and we'll drive up that hill together real quick, real easy. Use my power, lean on me. I will show you how to take a rest. I will show you how to live your life. We are trying to do it ourselves. We're self-empowered when we're fans a lot of times. But Jesus calls us as followers to be spirit-filled. That's why he told the disciples, hey, wait here for a second. Wait here, and then I'm gonna send you my spirit, and then you go, and you're gonna change the world. Because followers realize we weren't meant to walk alone. We're not meant to just hope that we're doing, doing the best that we can. And, oh man, I just gotta work harder and harder and harder. And a lot of you are doing that, and you're tired of it. And that's why you don't go to church. That's why you don't go to United. That's why I don't go to life groups. I'm, I'm, I'm sick of this, man. I'm sick of trying hard. I'm sick of messing up. You're not supposed to be perfect. You're supposed to walk with the Spirit inside of you. No longer does God have to drag you along. He is in you, showing you where to go and what to do, giving you supernatural power and strength. And so here's the last thing that we're going to do. This is how we're going to respond. We are going to define the relationship. We've talked about the question. We've talked about how to figure out our symptoms and figure out where we're at. We are going to define the relationship. So if you turn your page of your book, everybody do this. Grab your book. And it's on the next page, and it says response. And there's actually two pages. There's a front and a back. And what we're going to do is Ben is just going to play the keys and we're not going to do a worship song and we're just going to sit there. And I want you, I don't want you to go through, this isn't like one of those quizzes you're trying to finish as fast as you can and turn it in like we did in first or second grade. This is something I want you to think about and pray about. We're going to give you time here to decide where you're at. And so there's some of the questions we talked about in this sermon and there's some questions that we didn't talk about. And some of them are just yes or no, but some of them, uh, a lot of them are one to five. And I think if I, if I did it right, one is kind of on the fan side and five is on the follower side. And so sometimes we're not sure where we are. And so that's why I want to give you a little bit of a scale. Because if you look at the scale, you can kind of figure out where you're at. Now, this is not something where I want you to answer poorly just because you're like, well, I'm, I must not be good. I, must, I just need to write it. If you think you're doing well in it, say I'm, I'm fully committed. I'm all in in this area. Maybe, maybe you'll go through this and be like, man, this is so encouraging. God is, God is lifting me up and to continue, helping me continue to do what I need to do. But I have a feeling a lot of us also are going to find out, gosh, I'm missing the, I'm missing the mark here. I, I'm being more of a fan than a follower. So take out those books and spend the next few minutes just going through those. Let me pray for you and then, uh, then we'll respond. Jesus, we love you. Speak to us right now. Help us be honest with ourselves. In your name, amen.